0: Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. My name is Sonia, and today I have with me Dr. Vidya Krishna, who is a child psychiatrist. We will be talking about the treatment of depression using biopsychosocial interventions. Before we do that, however, would you like to introduce yourself, Dr. Krishna?
1: Sure, thank you, Sonia, for having me today. Uh, as you already mentioned, I'm Vidya Krishna, and I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, and for my day job, I work at the Children's Health Council in Palo Alto where I'm the head of Adolescent Mental Health
0: Services. Wow, that's incredible. So my first question to you is, What are the different ways you treat depression? Um, So
1: depression obviously is a mental health condition. It is the lay language we use for um, the the condition called major depressive disorder um, and a few other uh, depressive conditions. Um, Whenever we try to address a mental health condition, we try to come at it from very, very different directions. So we try to address the biology of the condition, which is what is happening from a chemical neurocircuitry kind of a standpoint, the psychological, which is the way the brain thinks and processes information. And then we come at it from a social standpoint, but I want to kind of include that to say both social and environmental. Um, And and the reason I break it up into these three parts is biological is the kinds of things where we would do medication and those kinds of interventions would fall under that bucket. The psychological would be therapies, the various kinds of therapies. One might use talk therapy is one of the more popular kinds of it, but there are other kinds of therapies people use to treat something like depression and the social or the environmental factors include things that people do, right? What's happening at school and what's happening in a person's family life, friend circle, even things we do on a daily basis, what we eat, how we sleep. Uh, the level of activity we do. So what I would like to say is overall, the treatment of depression includes a wide umbrella of things that basically touches every aspect of a person's existence.
0: That's incredibly interesting to know. I knew that there was like therapy and medication, but I didn't realize that there is such like a wide variety of ways that depression is treated. And so that leads me to my next question, which is, When do you recommend a child's depression be treated with medication in terms of their age and severity? So as far as the
1: age goes, there is no particular cutoff. There is no age below which we will not treat depression and there's there's not an age above which we will not treat depression. So I think depression um, most importantly is what presents in front of you. I think of two big categories when I bring up the idea of using medication to treat depression with my clients and their families. One of them is the severity of the depression. If someone has what we would like to call as a moderate to severe level of depression, medications automatically enter the conversation. Just because we talk about it doesn't mean we always do it, but that definitely shows that things are severe enough that it should be talked about. The other big factor is functional impairment, right? Um, The way a child goes through the world is they have, a family component of their life, a school component of their life and a social component of their life. If depression is to a point where it's affecting all or some of these aspects to a big degree where a child's ability to engage with your school, which is their main job or their family or their friends is impacted in a big way. We do consider the possibility of medications as one of the things we might want to do to help them um, get back on a sound footing in their life. So I would say, Severity and functionality are the two main criteria I use when making medication recommendations.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I didn't realize that there is like no age limit or age range in which it should be treated with medication. So thank you so much for telling us that. And I've also seen a lot of people depression, people with depression um, that see therapists and take medication but I never really understood how exactly the medication helps with the depression. So can you explain what medications do and why simply going to a therapist isn't enough in some cases? Um, So, uh, you know, for a combination
1: of reasons, depression uh, obviously is a sum of many different factors, right? There is genetic vulnerability on top of which there could be medical conditions or life circumstances which conspire with each other to basically tilt the needle towards the person's emotional health, responding um, through depression, sometimes in triggered situations where there are um, negative life situations, um, either within someone's control or not, but sometimes depression can happen for no reason at all. But irrespective of why a person becomes depressed at a particular point, um, there always are neurochemical and neuro Um, circuitry kinds of changes that are observable in the brain that is easily discernible through PET scan and various other functional metrics of analysis. Like if you took a picture of someone's brain who's depressed, you can see that the various cells in the brain are are not talking to each other as well as we'd like for them to. And the various parts of the brain also at a bigger level are not communicating with each other as effectively or efficiently as we'd like to. Um, And this is obviously a very big challenge because that is a big barrier to being able to experience benefit. If you think of therapy, therapy is learning new ways or teaching someone new ways for their brain to deal with the world outside of themselves, or even in the way that we talk to ourselves inside of our head, as we get prepared to deal with life or life circumstances. The trouble is that when you have therapy alone and the level of Um, depression is extremely significant or there's large parts of your life that are not working the way they're supposed to, even if the right kind of therapy is available, the barrier because of these lack of appropriate communication between the various parts of the brain is so large, that therapy alone cannot overcome. It's almost like asking someone to jump over a wall that's too tall. It's not possible to do, no matter how much coaching training you give, sometimes you just need that ladder, right? Sometimes medicine, if you think about it, is that ladder that you use to be able to climb over a taller wall. Someone can coach you how to climb the ladder, how quickly you can climb it, and how easily you can get over the top. But if you think about it, that's kind of the role it does. It makes these parts of the brain have the chemicals necessary in the tank to be able to um, be available when the right message is coming so that the message is able to go through, but also the same time, it allows for these various parts of the brain to talk to each other a lot more efficiently. It's almost like it greases the wheels.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So medicine is kind of like the booster that can really help you um, get out of your depressive phase or kind of, you know, Ease your depression, um, yep. and so the next question is: Once one of your patients starts taking medicine for depression, how long do they need to take it to see results? And when would you eventually stop or taper down on the medication?
1: Um, so the medications, because of what I just explained as what the medicines needs to do, they create this tank of chemicals that needs to be there in your brain so that. Um, you know, they are able to various parts of the brain are able to communicate with each other more effectively. Um, But eventually the job of the medicine is to help the body build its own tank of chemicals. And for these effective communication roads that you have developed almost like information superhighways to kind of work at of their own volition without the um, aid of medications. Um, What ends up happening though is this whole process of the brain becoming self-sufficient without the need of this external booster, like you said, Sanya, um, is something, um, it takes the brain a while to get into this new habit, if you will. So number one, to for the medicine to just start working, to build the original tank can take anywhere from four to six weeks, which is a long period of time I understand, but given how long sometimes these things have been going on, six weeks in that scheme of things does not feel like a large amount of time. Um, But once we have found that the medicine is helpful or effective, uh, the the treatment of what we call an episode of depression um, needs to usually last somewhere in the order of about nine months to a year or a year and a half. The reason for it is it takes that long to shore up the body's defenses to undo some of the problems that have happened because of the brain being in a depressed place because certain parts of the brain don't grow at the way they're supposed to it's almost the same way you think of as you know, when a, when a child's body is malnourished, they don't grow tall, they don't put on weight, their body is not able to do the various age-related tasks it's do. Similarly, a brain that is under the influence of depression doesn't grow the way it's supposed to grow and doesn't do all the tasks and activities that it's supposed to do for that age and stage of life. So you need to have that regrowth and that catch up happen before you're able to get out of that episode of depression and that takes time, which is explains the nine months to a year, year and a half timeline. Um, one of the things I always talk about is in the window of time that we are um, in using medications to address the symptoms of depression. It's a great period of time to kind of combine that with the therapy because as the brain is growing back, like I said, developmentally catching up, right? Because depression has almost been like a pause button what ends up happening is therapy added in at that particular point can accelerate that process significantly. So to be able to successfully get to that year mark or nine months or year and a half mark and be at a place of readiness to be able to stop the medicines requires a person to be able to have caught up and keep up with all the things that have happened in that particular time. And so I would say three things, right? Um, giving the brain enough time and space to do the growing it needs and the catching up it needs to do, but also modifying the various thinking changes that have happened because of depression by the combination of therapy is what gets somebody to a place of readiness to see both results and be at a place where you're ready to stop the medications and kind of move on from that phase of treatment. Though one other point that would be useful to add here is this is all, everything that I said right now is valid when you're looking at someone in their first episode of depression or first instance of treatment. But it is important to remember that not everybody responds to the first medicine or the first treatment they take and not everybody's in the first episode of depression. Sometimes this is maybe the second time or the third time someone's struggling. But in those instances, the answer is a lot more customized and it is something that one should discuss with one's doctors because um, once you get into further episodes of depression or more longer duration of illness, other variables start to matter uh, in terms of how long it takes to see results or when this person is ready to start.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like how you said that it's, you know, it's not the same, it's not like a one size fits all type of thing, right? Not all patients will respond to the same medication the same way. And I think it's really important for people to know that just because the first one didn't work, doesn't mean the ones after that won't work, you know? Absolutely. And so um, my last question to you, just a tangent off of that, is how do you deal with suicidal thoughts or tendencies of patients that have depression? So one
1: one way to think about it is, uh, at least as far as people with depression are concerned, you want to think of suicidal thoughts as suicidal tendencies, as a part of the depressive profile, if you will, right? For many kids, it is, a, um, and including adults, it it flows from the symptoms of depression in the sense that um, I don't feel like my life is worth living. I don't feel like I'm able to help myself or lead a good enough life that feels meaningful. And many people without even consciously realizing it slip into a phase where they start to say, I don't matter or my life doesn't matter. What's the point anyway? I wish I was dead. Nobody would miss me if I died. Um, And sometimes this goes into a place where they start to think that, um, you know, um, I think I'm a burden. I think I am not of value. And what does it matter if I died? Nobody will miss me. Um, And many and first things first, I always say is that one should not fear asking these kinds of questions. If it's a family or a member or a loved one. Uh, Because it's a very common thing we see in people with depression, even if they are not at a point where they're going to do anything about it. This kind of negative thought pattern is actually very core to just the symptoms of depression themselves. And many of the people who are in this thought pattern or stuck in this thought pattern find that when the depression lifts, these thoughts also get better and go away. So I think you want to first start by thinking of it as a part and parcel of depression and not be fearful of asking or checking in about these thoughts if a person does have them, to see, hey, if you have them, because it might be a great sense of relief for someone to share this with somebody. And now somebody knows, which means somebody can help, which means somebody can point you in the right direction of what can happen um, next. And so that is the first thing. So asking, checking in, knowing about it is extremely important. The other thing that is also important is there are studies out there that show that there may be a very, very small, but nonetheless important thing where when you start treatment, whether with therapy or whether with medication, there can sometimes be a change or a worsening of these thoughts initially. That does not mean that the treatment is not working. Sometimes what ends up happening is treatment makes a person be able to see where their life is a little bit more clearly and what they see around them may not be something they like because of how much damage depression has done to their life and their circumstances. And it can be very disheartening to begin with. And that's exactly the point where we need to let somebody know that help is on the way, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and holding their hand. So instilling a sense of hope and knowing that they have people who are in their corner, people who are rooting for them, who know what they're doing and who are able to help can preserve that sense of hopefulness, uh, almost a substituted hopefulness, which comes from the outside until the actual treatments for the depression are able to kick in. So there is a period of vulnerability where we might know about these thoughts and feelings, but we are not quite in a place where we're able to fully address them. And which is when the external help that a friend, a colleague, a parent, a relative, a doctor, a therapist can be so important and so valuable in supporting someone through that particular phase. But most times as the depression improves, um, simultaneous to that, we also see an improvement in these uh, thoughts and feelings automatically. But if that's not the case and you're not seeing those changes, therapy can play a significant role because sometimes these suicidal thoughts are almost a... I want to say a maladaptive coping, it's felt like that is the solution to my problems. And so finding alternative solutions in conjunction with a really good therapist can replace these thoughts and feelings with other more helpful thoughts that actually have a good chance of being able to help um, these thoughts and feelings. So I think you want to think of suicidal thoughts and tendencies almost lockstep um, with the depression in your treatment of depression is one of many things we try to address The same way, like we might try to address sleep or difficulties or appetite difficulties. And this is just one more of those things that we deal with.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful to know. I think um, it's really, it's nice to know that it's not something that's uncommon in people with depression. And it's, you know, something that happens and it's something that can be treated and something that can be improved with medication and with therapy. So that is an amazing thing. And thank you so much for joining us today in this interview. I learned like a wealth of information, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners did too. So thank you so much. You are listening to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every weekend. So make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and thank you so much for listening.